0: stuff sometimes you know it goes off air it's all right it's odd that we would look at a different people group before looking at Ruth but the Moabites we you have to understand are a people that started way back in Genesis you'll recall two towns Sodom and Gomorrah It's interesting, those towns are synonymous with sin and evil and depravity. And when we think of those towns, we think of that. We think of also how God dealt with that sin and evil. As he dealt swift and just. But as you look back and you think about Sodom and Gomorrah, we also remember Lot. Remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? And God spared Lot, his two daughters, and his wife. And as they are leaving, his wife is like, oh, but I long for. And she looked back, God turns her to a pillar of salt, and Lot and his daughters escape to the mountains. And God spares their life. Is there in that cave that we read in Genesis chapter 19, this disturbing passage of Scripture. Have you ever read something in Scripture and gone, whoa, wait a minute, that's in the Bible? Have you ever done that? Oh my goodness, I have read, you know, and sometimes I read and I'm, I'll admit, I'm just not thinking or engaging. And I'm like, I know I've read that. But oh my goodness, I seriously. That's this passage. I mean, look at Genesis chapter 19. And we're going to begin in verse 30. Look at what it says. Lot went up from Zor and stayed in the mountains and his two daughters with him. For he was afraid to stay in Zor. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then... The firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. Say, what? I mean, seriously. It goes on to explain how they do this. Jump ahead to verse 36, and it says, Thus, both daughters of Lot were with child by their father. Ew! How would you like that for your family heritage? How did your family start? Well, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Amani. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. You read that, and that is the, the beginnings of the Moabites. You're like, why are we looking at the Moabites? You'll get it in just a moment. The descendants, the the, the Moabites in Israel, have had an interesting relationship. There was a lot of time that there was friction there. They really didn't get along well. There's struggles, hostilities, and because of it, God even directs Israel to keep their distance. In Deuteronomy, we read God's instructions as they are going back into the land, back where the Moabites, the Ammonites are, and he gives them instructions. Listen to what God says in chapter 23 of Deuteronomy. Just as they're going in. He says, No Amorite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord, none of their descendants, even to the tenth generation shall ever enter the assembly of the Lord because and here's why they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam the son of Boar from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you Nevertheless, the Lord, your God, was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord, your God, turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord, your God, loves you. What a great reminder. But he says, you shall never seek their peace or, pro- or their prosperity all your days. That's God's opinion of the Moabites and the Amorites. Interesting, isn't it? They were not to come in and fellowship with them. That was God's instruction. That's God's opinion of these people here. And here's why we're looking at the Moabites as we begin this study of Ruth. I want you to turn to this wonderful book, which is only four chapters. It's an amazing, amazing narrative. But look at how it begins. Now, it came about in those days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab. Oh, starting to make sense now, huh? With his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Chilion, Ephratites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now, they entered the land of Moab and remained there. They sojourned in to the land of Moab. Before we look at this fascinating narrative of Ruth, though, I want to define a word. I'm not one that gets big into word studies, but this word study was an amazing one for me to do. And I think it will benefit you as we look and unwrap the word redeemed. It's a verb. And this verb is worth understanding for us today as much as it was for the Israelites in their day. How many of you have ever done a study on this word? Oh, a few of you. The rest of you, this word is such a blessed, blessed word. Look at the definition. The definition is simply this to buy back. There's a purchase that is is being performed here when, when you redeem something or someone. To buy back, to free from captivity, a payment for a ransom. Are you starting to see this word unfold? To redeem. to release from blame or debt. I'm Just curious, how many of you in here this morning are in debt? Wonderful. We have a financial peace course that we offer. No. All right, being in debt is, is a burdensome thing, is it not? But the concept of uh, being redeemed is being released from that debt. Being released from that blame. And the blame is just. It's deserved. To be free from the consequences of sin. Read that one again. Look at that. Free from the consequences of sin. I don't know about you, but I read in the scriptures that the consequence of sin is death. What an amazing thing to repair or restore. Some of you are coming in this morning, some of you are sitting there and you are broken. fractured. You're like, you know, it'd really be nice this morning to leave redeemed, repaired, restored. To atone for. I, I love the synonym. Synonym. Yeah. Synonym. Okay, the cinnamon <laughs> Okay, for this is to rescue. To rescue, and you know what? Every one of us sitting here need rescued. If you look further into this word, redeem, and I'm just going to leave that up there for you to to ponder for just a minute while I look at these other words that stem from this beautiful word. But you look at a redeemer. A redeemer is the individual who does the redeeming, who redeems. And I love it when when you look at Noah Webster's dictionary, it says, especially capitalized. I, I love it when it tells you you're supposed to capitalize something. It says, especially, capitalize, Jesus! A Redeemer. In the Old Testament, when we look at the process of of the Redeemer, it was one who had to be a blood relative. Someone who had relation through blood. That individual could be a Redeemer. It was one who would pay the price... On behalf. Did you hear that? It was one who would pay the price on behalf of the one that was impoverished. The one who had nothing. The one who was totally incapable of paying themselves. Sound familiar? I love this. And that was a redeemer. Redemption was merely the act, the process of going through and redeeming an individual. Redemptive, bringing about redemption. This is a beautiful word. And it stands at the heart of this book. The whole idea and concept of redeem throughout scriptures is is looking at the ones who are helpless. Who can do nothing. And then we look to the one who can. Mark my words, to be the redeemer is a selfless act of grace and mercy. Because the individual receiving it has nothing. The narrative of Ruth illustrates so beautifully this redeeming love. And I know many come to it and look at the, the romance that, that you see in this book and all of that, but I want us to focus on redeemed, the Redeemer. Look at the overview of this book. It's, it's interesting, as, as you look at Ruth, it's structured beautifully. And, and I got to tell you, this last week was a crazy, crazy week. I was so glad that there was only four chapters to read this week. That really helped me out. But they are four powerful chapters. And it's interesting, as you read through Ruth, there's actually very little mention, similar to, to Esther, of, of God anywhere in the book. Very little is God mentioned, but yet, Wow! As you read this narrative, it is amazing how you see God's fingerprints. And when you get done, you're just like, wow, God, you did something amazing there. It's fun to turn through the pages, and in my Bible it's only two pages because I have small print and four chapters. But... It shows his divine work in just a beautiful, powerful way. Each chapter is, is set in its own unique setting. Chapter 1, is we're over in Moab. As you move to chapter 2, we're out in the harvest fields, the barley fields. Chapter 3, we're at the threshing floor. And chapter 4 takes place in Bethlehem. Four very unique settings as, as this narrative unfolds. And throughout each chapter, we see the, the faint picture grow stronger and stronger of a Redeemer throughout the narrative. And I hope as we look at this narrative that you understand your need, my need. To be redeemed as well. To have a redeemer. Each chapter builds on itself beautifully. Chapter 1. The the chapter begins with, In the time of the judges. Well, we looked at the judges last week, and that was not a, a great time. Okay? That was not a great time for Israel. But this takes place in that time. What a beautiful thing that God preserves for Himself, a remnant who are faithful. We look at our time and we can see that there are individuals, there are churches who remain faithful to God's Word. Oh, to be a part of that remnant. As the story unfolds, we see that they go to Moab because of famine the need for food, they're hungry. And they go to this land hoping to find fulfillment and they find food. They even find marriages for their boys who marry two Moabite women. But they also find heartache, grieving, sorrow death. Naomi's husband dies. And then, one after the other, her two sons die. We're not told how, we're not told why. And I appreciate that because death is a part of life. And when we look at life, we see sorrow, we see heartache, we see burdens. They're there for at least 10 years, maybe more. And it's at this point, looking at the sorrow and, and the hurt and suffering, that they realize back in Bethlehem, there's once again food. Food. Naomi decides to go back home. She tells her two daughter-in-laws, she goes, listen, you two stay here. Go back to your homes. Find, find husbands. Start your families. Orpah says, okay. Yet Ruth. Ruth says a, an amazing thing in verse 16. Look at what she says. She turns to her mother-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God what an interesting statement first of all do you see the character of this young woman not going to abandon her her mother-in-law because of heartache and difficult times but remains there but she also makes a statement of following Naomi's God Not a lot is stated about what happened in those 10 years. But enough occurred that Ruth saw something. Ruth saw a God that she was willing to follow because of the example of maybe her husband, maybe her father-in-law if she knew him, but especially Naomi. She saw something about Naomi's God that made her want to follow her God. What do you and I demonstrate in our lives about our God on a daily basis? Is he attractive? to those around us based on our actions and our words it's interesting however Naomi's words are not as encouraging as the chapter closes in Ruth 1:20 look at what it says she's broken hearted she's hurting She said to them, do not call me Naomi. She gets back to Bethlehem. They're like, whoa, it's Naomi. She's back. She says, don't call me that. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Bitterness. The Almighty has dealt very heart bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Something's going to happen. But she's bitter. Each one of us, myself included, is susceptible. To allowing the struggles of life, the the hardships, the pain, the suffering, to allow bitterness to stir within the heart and the soul. I I can't come and and deal with Naomi too harshly here. I haven't gone through what she went through. The struggles that she was facing... But as chapter 1 ends, chapter 2 brings um, some provision. I I love as we go into chapter 2 that that we move from from the death and bitterness of chapter 1 to the care of Naomi. Do you know who's caring for her? First and foremost, it's God. But Ruth. Her daughter-in-law, she says, I came back empty. She doesn't realize what God has placed in her life in Ruth. And Ruth is is gracious to her. This chapter reveals the rich, rich heart and character of this young woman, Ruth. As she goes out and she cares for her mother-in-law. She works hard. She says, listen, I'll go out behind the harvesters and I will glean behind them. So whenever they were out there harvesting grain, in fact, God even instructed this, there would be those who were impoverished, those who were from foreign lands, those who were widowed, that would follow behind and pick up the scraps. And some of you feel like you're just scraping by right now. But even God was providing for that. And she goes to this field, which I love that the scripture says, happened to be. Don't you love it when scripture says, it just so happened. I love how God orchestrates things and, and directs things. But she goes to the field of Boaz, who happens to be a close relative. Wow! Wow! She doesn't know this, but, but Boaz in chapter 2 is such an amazing man. Not only is, is Ruth caring for Naomi, but we see this man, Boaz, care for the less fortunate. Something about Ruth catches his eye and he cares for her. He's like, who's that woman? They, they explain who he is. And he protects her. He he cares for her. He says, listen, don't let anyone harm that woman over there. If they do, they're going to deal with me. What care? What love? He feeds her. He actually calls Ruth over and says, listen, you, you eat with us. You you drink from the water that we've pulled from the well. It's fresh. I'll take care of you. You know, man, if you want to look at strength of character, I'd encourage you. Boaz, Boaz here is an amazing example. He's not seeking romance right now. He is just being a man of character, integrity. Protecting those and providing for those less fortunate. I mean, look at what this man does. Turn, turn to chapter 2. This is, this is just exciting. Look at verse 14. Look at this man Boaz. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reaper's and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left, which she would take to Naomi. Also, look at what he tells her. Sorry, he doesn't tell her this. When she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Not on the edges, but in the middle where the grain is rich and full. Easy. He says, also, you shall purposely, this is so cool, purposefully. I lost my place. Pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Listen, I want you to pull some of the good stuff. Just kind of let it drop. Don't shame her. Don't rebuke her. But leave it there and let her follow behind and pick it up. What a beautiful thing to do. Gracious. When when she gets back, she tells about Boaz, and Naomi's thrilled. She goes, Oh, I know who this man is. He's a close relative. Chapter 3 begins, and, and Naomi gives Ruth some very important instructions. And Ruth listens to those instructions. Naomi wants someone to care for her daughter-in-law for the long haul. Here we see that in chapter 2, Ruth is caring for Naomi. Now Naomi wants to care for Ruth. She tells her, get dressed in in your best clothes. Get dolled up. She goes, you're going to go and you're going to meet Boaz. I want you to go to the threshing floor. You're going to sneak in it's interesting, in this chapter we see that there's care for Ruth, but there's almost a seeking of, of love. There's a seeking of, of a relationship there but something far greater is about to, to occur. Often you and I approach God, we approach Jesus, seeking something that is far more superficial than what God has in store. We want the love we, we go to Him because He's loved us, and we want Him to love us back. It's not that way. He actually loved you and I first. We want to get out of hell. We don't want to go to hell, so we go and we seek Him, right? And God says, I have something far greater. But in chapter 3, we see Ruth, and she gets dressed up, she goes, and she goes to the threshing floor at night. Now, ladies, this is not how you should get a husband, okay, for for some of our young ladies here. Okay, this was kind of the culture of the day. This is not a prescription here. She goes to the threshing floor, and she lays down at his feet. Okay? First of all, that would probably creep out any guy that, that you would do that to. They're like, oh, whoa! Okay, actually, Boaz was surprised. But this was demonstrating to Boaz an act of humility. And it's interesting. Boaz, when he wakes up, Ruth says an amazing thing. Look at chapter 3 with me, verse 9 through 11. Once again, ladies, this is not prescriptive, okay? He said, Who are you? I mean, it's dark. It's nighttime. I mean, he doesn't have a switch that he can just turn on a light. He goes, Whoa! Who are you? Who's at my feet there? She's. She answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first, by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all the people in the city know you are a woman of excellence. Of character. Essentially by saying, pull your blanket, put your blanket over me, she's saying, will you marry me? Yeah, you didn't know women asked for that in the scriptures, did you? What? That's what she's asking here. And he understands that there is a redeeming that is going to need to happen. He sends her back and says, I will do this. I know there is a cost, I know there is a price, and I assure you, Ruth, this will happen. And he says, You are a noble woman. You're, this is just amazing that you would seek after. Boaz is old. He's an old man, she's a young woman, and he goes, she goes to him, which goes to show that what Boaz did in chapter two was not flirtatious, but character. as Ruth is seeking love, security. Boaz is looking at redemption. Chapter 4 is an amazing chapter, and man, I'm already out of time. I thought for sure with four chapters, I'd be like, man, this will be quick, right? No. It's so rich though. Boaz, he doesn't waste time. He goes out, he gathers the leaders, he says, listen, I, I need you all to be witnesses. He goes, there's another relative, by the way, who's closer who's closer in blood he goes and he says hey do you want to you want to redeem uh the the land and all that and he's like yes i do he's like by the way there's this gal Ruth. she's a moabite gentile woman you get her with it too whoa wait a minute look at chapter four verses three through six i love this then he said to the closer relative do you know he's not named Oh, he's identified closer relative. That's all he gets in Scripture. Then he said to the closer relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Amalek. So I thought to inform you, saying, but if you buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of the people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. I find it interesting, this man wanted the inheritance. He wanted a name for himself, yet to this day he remains nameless. I find it amazing that we want the redemption. But we want our name to be elevated. We want our name to be lifted up rather than the name of Jesus Christ. Yet Boaz, we are still talking about today. His character is integrity. People rejoice over this redemption process. Verse 13 says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said, women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life, a sustainer in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a, a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi, So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. As the book closes, it closes with a genealogy. The writer, as he pins this wonderful narrative of a redeemer, leaves the reader looking ahead. There is something coming. There's something in store. And this Redeemer that we see in Ruth is just a glimpse, just a a foreshadowing of the Redeemer to come. That scarlet thread that is weaved throughout this book is, is declaring that there is a Redeemer coming. And today... We get to remember our Redeemer. The man who would come through the line of David. A kingly line. Who would sit on the throne on earth and in heaven. King of kings, Lord of lords. It's interesting. We see in this, God. And some of you came in from a hard week, struggles, regrets, hurts. Some of you saying, if only you knew. I don't, but God does. And he sent a redeemer. His name is Jesus. And He bought you with His blood. This Redeemer freed us as captives of sin. He releases you and I from the debt that we can't pay. From the consequences of sin. He restores you and I to Himself. The the relationship that was fractured, ripped, Because of your sin and mine, He restores. And He atones with His blood. He rescued us. Because we needed rescuing. A kinsman redeemer. One who was of the bloodline. Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer who took on the blood of man God in the flesh in order to redeem you and I from sin we're going to enter into a time of of communion here if you didn't grab one as you came in please raise your hand and the ushers will, will get that for you We have one over here. But a kinsman redeemer would come in the flesh. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, gave a beautiful, beautiful illustration of his flesh. He would take the bread. And he would break it. And he would say to those there that night this is my body we have a God who came in bodily form in the flesh for you and I he said this is my body and it's broken for you let's ask a blessing on it as we partake together graciously heavenly father God your word says that you loved us oh with a redeeming love hey you sent your only son whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life because in our sin we were we were dead God, You would come in the flesh. You would allow Your body to be broken, beaten, and to hang on a cross for our sin. So God, as we come to the bread this morning, remembering our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, God, we say thank You for taking the payment, for, for taking the punishment, removing the consequences of sin. And putting it on yourself. God thank you. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Shall we partake together. A kinsman redeemer. One of bloodline. Our God. In flesh which shed his blood. That night Jesus took the cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. For you. And he he told us to remember, as often as we drank it, to remember him. Remember the price that was paid. Remember the cost that you and I couldn't pay. Let's ask a blessing on the cup. God, you shed your blood. Spotless, pure, without sin. And God, you shed your blood to pay for our sin. God, this morning we remember that and we praise you. We thank you. Lord, we ask a blessing on this cup now as we remember. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we partake? I love that Ruth leaves us looking And a genealogy that would come after her. And we see King David. And we look further ahead and we look and we see that there is a promised Messiah coming. This morning, we look ahead again. Not for a Redeemer. He came, but we look for Him to return. And with that, we look with anticipation enjoy. Nathan's going to come and lead us in a song as we close. I want you to think about what you're singing as we sing this song. There is a redeemer and his name is Jesus Christ.